Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. I was in a pool this week. I was, I was kind of relaxing there in the pool. Uh, my kids didn't know I was home yet, so I had like 30 minutes of them not knowing I was there and, and floating around in this pool. And this thought uh, kind of raced through my mind. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. Just, just an old memory just, just seems to come out of nowhere. It, it ran through my mind. When I was a kid, there was this one summer right there at the beginning of the summer. And my dad got up pretty early one morning. He went out back and he drove this stake into this ground. The, uh, it was kind of like a pole, but a big piece of wood. He drove it into the ground. And I'm the oldest of five. We didn't know what he was doing. And he took a string and he walked out quite a, way there, quite a ways there. He measured it off. And then he walked around. He designated this big circle by that middle point, made a circle with a shovel. And then he spent several hours, you know, uh, clearing out that circle, removing the grass, grass and the, the pine needles, uh, the sand there. There were a couple of uh, roots from the trees that he cut those out of there. And my dad is real fair complected like I am. So, you know, a couple hours into this southern Mississippi heat and humidity, and he was just bright pink you know, and, and just working out there. And we did not know what he was doing. All five of us sitting there like little crows watching him um, labor away there all day long, just, you know, occasionally bringing sweet tea that mama sent out to him. And then he started bringing out sand and by the wheelbarrow all the way around our little house there, and dump it out. And, and eventually he layered all of that out into this big sand circle. Then he started constructing the framework and the sides of a of an above ground pool that he had purchased somewhere. And that's when we started to get real excited, right? We knew what was happening at this point and started to just get so excited about what was about to happen. All five of us and my mom were all keyed in on what it was that dad was doing out there in the backyard. And I can still, this was the thought that ran through my mind there. I can still very clearly see that green hose drop over the side of that frame there and start to spill out crystal clear, cool water into that bright blue plastic pool liner. Can y'all see that? Can you, can you feel it? Can you smell it? That was the beginning of the greatest summer, right? Just one of the very best summers. And it occurred to me, that's how I've always remembered that story. Up until this week when I'm now a dad some 30 years later, floating around in a pool and, you know, it just kind of crossed my mind that the beginning of that summer was great, but it wasn't when that hose started pouring water into that pool. The beginning of that summer began when my dad had a plan for us. When he started working hard, when he was executing this plan. And you know, I don't really recall my dad getting in the pool all that much. I, in fact, I don't know that he ever got into the pool. But you and I both know that he wasn't building that pool for him. He was building that pool for us. We're gonna begin a series now on Jeremiah. Jeremiah, and this book begins with this disclosure that's for a very long time, long before Jeremiah could breathe or crawl or 
or speak or articulate, long before he could think or create or dream, God had a plan for him. And that plan was working its way out. And as we read this story, what we realize is that God was going to work out that plan in Jeremiah's life. And eventually Jeremiah would fulfill the plan in his own life that would bring to his nation, to his people, hope and healing and a word of encouragement. It begs the question, it makes us, as we read the story, ask the same question of our own lives. Does God have a similar plan for you? Does God have a similar planned plan personally for you? Let's pray together and then we'll read about what we call Jeremiah's calling there, beginning in verse four. God, thank you so much for summer. And thank you for pools and friends and hanging out and taking breaks and vacations and seeing people we haven't seen in a while. God, I pray today as we begin this Summer Plans series, we would open our minds and our hearts to the reality that you have a plan for us, a plan for salvation and mission, for station and vocation. God, I pray that today we would leave here ready to answer that call, ready to answer those calls and to fulfill what it is that you planned for us long before we ever were. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. So several weeks on Jeremiah, that's what we're about to start. And I would forgive you if your first thought is, oh, that sounds really boring. And I, I can understand that. I can get it. You know, we're going, we're going to go through an Old Testament prophet. And when I say an Old Testament prophet in the middle of summer, many of you might think that's super boring or it's going to be confusing. Whenever you talk about an Old Testament prophet, I don't know what, I don't, there's all these visions and stuff. I don't know what it means. It's got a lot to do with history and kings and a nation that I've never been to and a kingdom that I did not experience. And I can understand that. To be honest with you, that's a little bit how I felt about it as well. But there's this author, this, uh, this guy's name is Eugene Peterson. He's, he's, he's passed now, but he's one of my favorite preachers and authors. And he wrote about Jeremiah. He wrote about Jeremiah in a book called Run With Horses. And so if you ever want to read, it's kind of like a devotional, so you can read through the chapters and, and study deeper this summer if you want to. Run with the horses. And in that, he wrote this. In Jeremiah, he sees the image of a man, a life of excellence. In Jeremiah, it is clear that the excellence comes from a life of faith, from being more interested in God than in self, and has almost nothing to do with comfort, esteem, or achievement. Here's a person who lived life to the hilt but there is not a hint of human pride or worldly success or personal achievement in the story. Jeremiah ignites my passion for a full life. At the same time, he firmly shuts the door against attempts to achieve it through self-promotion, self-gratification, or self-improvement. So while it might seem like this Old Testament prophet is kind of out of touch, I think all of us want to live a life that is fulfilling. And yet what Jeremiah shows us is a life that is fulfilling, that is not filled with the normal trappings of our culture and of our world, something that we could all really, really benefit from. And all of that begins here in chapter one, verse four, with Jeremiah's calling. Look down as I read this. It says, the word of the Lord came to me. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Three action verbs there in God's calling of Jeremiah. Chose, set apart, and appointed. All of them have this idea of God's action, his design, his plan 
plan that was going to take place and that it was a personal plan. Long before he was born, long before he was formed in the womb, God had a plan for Jeremiah. But it's not just a plan, a plug and play plan. It's not just that God had this strategy, this game plan and thought to himself, you know, any old fool put in this place can run the plan that I want them to run. This was a personal plan. This was something that took deep knowledge about Jeremiah. A couple of weeks ago, some of the staff, what we call the planning staff, those that put a bunch of stuff on the calendar, you know, we will take two retreats a year. One, we travel away and one, we stay here close by. And we do that so that we can plan out eight, nine, 10 months. And it's a lot of fun. I love hanging out with the staff. They're fun. There's a lot of joking, a lot of laughing, a lot of making fun of each other and, and the sort of stuff that your staff does as well. On this one, we stayed here locally. We borrowed a room there at Conway Corp and, and uh, we did some calendaring. And then we went to lunch. And at lunch, we met a person who has their very own YouTube channel, full-time job. A YouTube channel, it's a full-time job. And by meet this person, I mean Rich talked to this person and they had a voice, the sound of a train horn. And so all of us got to hear this person, right? They just endlessly talked about their YouTube channel. And so when we got back from lunch, we asked each other, what would be your YouTube channel? What would it be? Have you ever thought about that? Probably not. That's a dumb question, right? But now you can. What would be your YouTube channel? We went around the table there sharing what the YouTube, and here's what we did. We said, you have to say what your YouTube channel would be, what you would put on the YouTube, and then the rest of us voted on whether or not we would subscribe to that channel, you know? <laughs> now we're all Christians and we love each other, so we all subscribe to everybody's channel. We did it. Not that I'm going to watch it, but I, I subscribe to it. And it was interesting. It was really interesting because it went one step further. Here's why it was interesting. We knew their interest. We knew what they were interested in. We all know that about each other. But it was the way in which we would portray it to the world. Like, I would do this, but in this way. That's what makes it a YouTube channel. And so we found out a little bit more about what makes each other tick. God knew that about Jeremiah. He knew all of the nuances to Jeremiah's personality, to what makes him the way that he is. God knew his family of origin, his experiences, his education, his fears, and his dreams. All of his apprehensions and all of his goals in this life. God knew all of that. And it turns out that all of that from the very beginning was being orchestrated to effectively work out the plan that God had for Jeremiah's life. What I'm trying to say here is that this isn't just that God had a plan. It's that God had a personal plan for Jeremiah. It's a very specific plan. It says there at the end of our verse five that you will be a prophet to the nations. A massively weighty, huge title that God was now placing on Jeremiah. So my question is at this point, how would you respond to that? If God suddenly appeared tonight in your living room, or if on the way home from worship service this morning, God appears in the passenger seat next to you, and he very specifically audibly tells you, this is the plan that I have for your life. How would you respond to that? What would you say back? What would you do? I feel like most of us, especially in a church setting, we'd be like, I'm all about it. If God, I've prayed my whole life that God would 
audibly tell me exactly what it is that I need to do. And if he would just clearly tell me, he can just leave a voicemail. He doesn't even have to show up in person. If he would clearly tell me, this is exactly what it is that I want you to do, then I would be all gung-ho. I would, I would sell everything. I would go, I would leave. I would do exactly what it is that he called me to do. And yet I would tell you that you would not. Look at verse six. But I protested. Oh no, Lord God, look, I don't know how to speak since I am only a youth. He says he protested. This is an amazing thing that happens in the Bible. Over and over, God speaks clear as day and the person responds in a protest. God speaks um, through the wind, sometimes in a burning bush, sometimes in the smoke and the incense that fills the temple and the people respond in protest. Almost always when God clearly says, this is what I want you to do, the people protest. Moses did, Isaiah did, John's, John the Baptist's dad did, Mary did. We all would. It's so common that I am convinced that we would all protest God's calling on our lives in nearly the exact same way that they all did. But I am just a youth. I'm young. It's two thoughts that really stick in my mind about these protests because uh, Jeremiah's not the only one that does that. Mary says just about the same thing. Moses says just about the same thing. Over and over, people say just about the same thing. But I'm young. I can't do this. I am too young. The first thought is that God calls young people to do things, great things, mighty things. God does call young people to do things. For whatever reason in our culture, we have this idea that people are too young to do great things for God. And yet repeatedly in the Bible, God calls young people to do great things. One of the curiosities about the Christian church in America is that young people do great things for God and then they age and start telling young people that they're too young to do great things for God. But God does call young people, people, whatever the, and like typically in the Bible, I mean, we're talking like 13, 14, 15 and up. God calls young people to do great things for God. And yet, if we think deeper about Jeremiah's response here, it's not just that he's saying, I'm too young. It's not just the age that would be on his uh, driver's license or on his Facebook account. This is his inexperience. That's what he's actually saying. I can't do what you want me to do, God. I can't be a prophet to the nations. I don't know how. I don't know how to do that. Isn't this a common way that we respond uh, to God's calling? I don't know how to do that. You know very clearly, you know as clear as day that God wants you to lead your family to worship him and to be active participants in the church. And yet there's a big part of you that gets held up because you think, I don't exactly know how to do that. You know that God wants you to befriend and invite your neighbors, your teammates, your coworkers to, to the gospel message, to Christianity, to the church. And yet you get hung up, trapped up, frozen because you don't know exactly how to do it. You know that God wants you to be sacrificial with your finances, but legitimately you just don't know how. How would I give 10% to God and live on the rest? How could I even make the ends meet? You don't know how. These are legitimate, constant protests. They're just not very good excuses. You know that God wants you to be a small group leader, uh, like kids ministry volunteer, student ministry volunteer. You know that God wants you to do that. You just think, 
I don't know how. And a lot of it is life stage as well. When he says, I am too young, you can almost hear him saying like, I can't be a prophet to the nations right now. I'm young. I'm supposed to be sowing my wild roots and doing crazy things and, and running and, and just having a great time. I'm supposed to be doing all of these things that young people do. That's what Jeremiah is saying. There. It's a life stage argument. And as a pastor, I cannot tell you how often I hear life stage arguments. God has laid something on somebody's heart. God has called some. God has given you the opportunity to serve in a specific way. And you think to yourself, but I'm, I'm, I'm just a teenager. You feel like God is telling you you need to bring your entire basketball team um, to youth group one night or something like that. I don't know how to do that. I'm just a teenager. I don't know how to do that. Uh, I can't do this. I can't be on mission. I'm just a college student. I'm supposed to be worried about my grades and starting my career. I'm just a college. This is my life stage right now. Right now, I'm supposed to be worried about these things. Then I'll worry about those things. But then, then comes, and now you're engaged to be married. And you've got that whole thing working in your life. And then you've got little ones on the way. We're trying to start a family. And then you have a family. And then there's little ones. And then the little ones get bigger. And they have soccer schedules and baseball leagues and all that sort of stuff. And then you got to get them out of the house. Then you got to pay for college. And then there's empty nests. We can't do that anymore. We're finally getting a chance to travel. And then we're retired. And now I'm old and I can't do that stuff. It's life stage arguments. Y'all remember, show of hands, how many of you remember back when we communicated primarily through landlines? Y'all remember that? All right. Show of hands. How many of you are like, what's a landline? I vaguely know this idea. Yeah. It used to be like a phone that was attached to the wall. Um, so the good ones you could walk away, but you had to charge them. Um, there's landlines. You know, one of the questions that we never asked, not once did we ever ask when we called somebody on a landline that we almost always ask now, where are you? We never asked that. When we were calling somebody on a landline, we never said, where are you? If you ask somebody, you call them up on a landline, you say, hey, where are you? Their response would be, where did you call? That's where I am. You called my office, I'm at my office. You called my house, I'm at my house. That's where I am. Listen, when God called you, he knew where you were. He knows how old you are. He knows your skills. He knows your personality. He knows your baggage and your secrets. He knows your giftings. He knows all of it. God didn't call you and ask, where are you? So often God gives us a calling in our lives, an opportunity in our lives, and we try to respond with some sort of excuse, like you don't know where I am. And God says, didn't I tell you long before you could breathe, I knew the words that you should say. God knows where you are. And he put a calling on your life. So that idea so that concept, God has a call, to this personal plan for people. We protest and then God responds. Look at verse 7 through 8. And then the Lord said to me, do not say that I am only a youth. I got to imagine that at some point God just gets irritated with this. Like he tells somebody and then they respond. He's like, ah, why do y'all keep telling me this? I know. Do not tell me that I am only a youth for you will go everywhere I send you to. You will speak whatever I tell you. Do not be afraid of anyone for I will be with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. God responds to Jeremiah's protest with you will and I will. This is the answer. He has three answers if you look in those two verses. The first one is you will go 
where I send you, meaning that God will direct his steps. You don't need to know how it's all going to work out. You just need to know the next step. And I do understand, and I get the idea because I feel the same way. I don't want to stand up here and act like I perfectly know how to follow God's will and I perfectly know how to say what it is that God wants me to say. But here's what is helpful. I don't need to know how it's all going to work out. I just need to take the next step. I don't need to have the map. He has the map. He set the course. I just need to take the next step. And so friend, Christian, listen, if you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. You don't know how it's all going to work out. So do what you know to do. Pray, read your Bible, be sacrificial, love your neighbor, live a quiet life, be kind. You know to do all that. Make sure you're doing all that. And I promise you, the next step will come. He says, you will say the things that I tell you, or you will go the places I tell you to go. You will say the things that I tell you to say. This is the one that trips us up the most with evangelism. This is the one that trips us up the most with telling other people about how to trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I hear people sometimes say, I can't go tell, I can't go tell my neighbor. And listen, I'm not making fun of that. I understand the apprehension. I often feel it myself. I can't go tell my neighbor about the love of Jesus Christ. I don't know all the stuff about Jesus. I don't know all the stuff about the gospel. I don't understand stuff about the Bible. So how would I even do that? And here's my encouragement to you. Start with hello. That's what you start with. Just go knock on the door. Start with hello and then see how it goes. I mean, if they slam the door, I mean, you were faithful and you walk away, right? But if they don't, which they probably won't, then you invite them to grill or, you know, swim in the pool or play bago or something. I don't know. You just hang out for a little while and conversation will lead to conversation. It's the same thing with anything else. God will give you the words to say. And then finally, I know that all that sounds scary, where you go and what you say, but God says, I will go with you. You don't need to know the ending. He's going to go with you. How many of you who are parents have ever had to have the conversation with your kid? You have never gone hungry a day in your life. You don't need to know when we're eating. I have, I, have, I have scheduled that the rest of your life. You will be fine. Sometimes my kids will ask me, when are we eating? What are we eating? And I'm like, listen, we've, we've done fine at that without your help. All right. It's the same thing with God. You don't need to know how it all works out. You just do what he called you to do. So look, look how basic it is the way that God responds back to him. He says, I'll give you the words. I'll show you where to go. And I will go with you. Don't worry about it. And that's to this huge calling to be a prophet to the nations, right? God's like, yeah, it's easy. I created stuff. So we can go do this, right? God says, don't worry about it. It's like some of you have never been baptized before. You've trusted Jesus as your savior, but you've never followed Jesus in believer's baptism. That's the next step. That's what you're supposed to do. You confess Jesus with your, with your mouth. You believe in him with your heart. You trust him as your savior. And then you are baptized in a church, signified to the world. And some of you have never done that. And the reason I hear most often than any other reason is I'm nervous. I'm afraid. I don't want to get up in front of people. I don't want to go over to the baptistry. And I understand that. Sometimes it's overwhelming to stand up here and to be in front of you. So I get that. But what I would say to you is the same thing I say to every person in that room. I will go with you. I've done this a million times. And... It has always worked out. It really has. And so you can go with me and I will go with you. If I'm baptizing, you have nothing to worry about. I will go with you. Now, Pastor David slammed somebody's head into the baptistry the other day. And so if he's baptizing you, then worry about it a lot. 
but I have never slammed anybody's head into And it's on video. It's really funny. Like drops them and he's like freezes up. Like, you know, <laughs> what do you do? You know, the guy was fine. He was fine. He's grown up. But anyways, I'm just telling you, it'll be fine if I'm going with you. That's the same thing that God is telling you. Follow God's call. He will go with you. It will work out. It will be fine. So, so far we've looked at this calling on Jeremiah's life. And long before Jeremiah was born, God had a plan for him. And in spite of his opposition and protest, God says, I will go with you. You were made for this and I will go with you. Do not be afraid. I feel satisfied by that. I'm looking at just those few verses. I step back and I see this beautiful calling on Jeremiah's life. And for the next few weeks, we'll see how that calling works out. We'll see what it is that he does. But this morning, before I let you go, I just want to ask you this question. Does God have a similar calling for you? And to that, I would answer, yes. God has a calling on your life. Now I Googled this. I tried to find other pastors or theologians, preachers out there that would have a list on what all kind of callings do Christians have? Do all Christians, do all believers, do all humans have a number like two, three, four, five, however many, they have at least one calling that every Christian has. And it looks like there's a lot of creativity with these lists, but if you boil them down, these are the four that I'm going to give you. And you might want to write them down. Here's the four. And all of mine end with the shun sound. Shun. First one is salvation. All people are called to salvation. All people. First Peter 2 9 says that you have been called out of darkness and into marvelous light. You weren't made to walk in darkness or to carry the guilt of sin. You were created to be with God and to enjoy him forever. And the Bible says that if you reject the way of this world and submit to him as your king and as your leader, you, in, you answer that initial call of salvation. That if you believe and trust in him as your savior, then you can be saved out of darkness into light. Everyone is called that call. The question is whether or not you're going to answer that call in submission. Are you going to finally lay down your own small little kingdom and submit to the one true king? All people are called to salvation. And once you answer the call to salvation, you are then called, all Christians are called to the call of mission. Mission. You were not saved to sit Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is the great commission in which Jesus sends out the disciples into all the nations to make disciples and to baptize believers. 1 Peter 2, 9, back to the same verse, he writes that you are a special people so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. You were saved to proclaim, to tell other people about the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what you were saved to do. So it's going to look different. It's going to sound different. You have your own accent and vocabulary and the way that you do things. But you were called. You are commissioned. You answer the call of salvation. You have a call of mission. Thirdly, the one that we don't often think about is station. We're Christians. We're ambassadors of Christ. And we answer that ambassador of Christ with obedience. But station, we answer with faithfulness. There are certain aspects to you that don't change. They are just your station in life. Some of you are male. Some of you are female. That's your, one, that's your two choices. That's all there is. You are either a male or you are a female. You have a family. 
You are related to people. That might be a son or a daughter. It might be a a father or a mother. You might be a husband or a wife. You might be single as a good gift from God. Whatever it is, you have a family that you are related to. You are a citizen of a country. And these are the way things are. They are just the way they are. These things make up who you are. You have this certain station in life that when you put it all together, it makes up you. And by God's design, there are faithful ways to live that out. There is a faithful way to be a man, to be a Christian, godly man. There's a faithful, God-honoring way to be a woman. There's a faithful, God-honoring way to work for the good of the city and to stand on Christian values. These are just who we are. And we need faithfulness in these aspects of our lives. They are not up for definition or redefinition. They are the way that God designed us. And all of us occupy some station in life. And there is an order to all of this. Salvation, mission, station. That when we work these things out in our lives, we are who we are. The fourth and the final calling is your vocation. This is what you do, your work, your contribution. This is the last one in the order. Don't get them mixed up. You are not what you do. So you might be an accountant or a banker, a doctor or a teacher, a farmer or a welder. You might be in the food service industry. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't care. That's what you do for a living. It's not who you are. But even in that, you can do that faithfully. You can do that with worship. You can be worshipful in whatever it is that God has called you to do. These are our callings. And so you need to answer. You need to know how it is that you answer all of these things and how it is that you are worshiping God in your submission, in your obedience, in your faithfulness, and in your worship. I do want to say a quick word about vocational ministry, though. Vocational ministry is is a person who works for a church. Their job is with the church, like myself and like some others here. We have done a disservice to Christian calling by only putting it on that sort of idea, on vocation towards the end. We've got this idea over time in which we think that God calls all people to salvation, but the very special ones, the very special ones, then he calls them into vocational ministry. The, the, the strong, the, the leaders, he'll call them into pastors. The brave, he'll call them to be missionaries. The sweet, the kind, he'll call them to be kids ministers. The creative, he'll call them to be uh, music and worship and arts. And student ministers and college ministers, well, bless their hearts, you know. That's just what we feel. It's what we think. But it's just not true. It's just not true. I'll tell you a secret about vocational ministry. Vocational ministry is an opportunity, a seasonal opportunity. I am a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and Savior. He really did walk on this planet. He really did live a sinless life. He really did die and resurrected on his own and right now sits at the right hand of the Father. I believe that with everything in me. I am an ambassador of Christ. I will speak that message whether you pay me or not, whether you imprison me or not. I'm a father and husband. I'm a male. I am a son. I'm a citizen of the United States. These are the things that I am. And right now I have the opportunity and the pleasure, 
the privilege to be a pastor of a church. But that may not always be. And that's fine. Because I am not a pastor. Pastoring is what I do. And I want to encourage you to think about that when it comes to vocational ministry. Some of you have skills and gifts that you could use in a church. Some of you have retirement, or in which you have all of this wealth of experience and ideas and knowledge that you could use in a church. Some of you have singleness and, and young adult life stage in which you have so much more freedom that you could use vocationally in a church. You want to know a, a, a bad thing right now within the Southern Baptist Convention? We don't have enough students in the seminary to lead the church in the future. This is a statistical reality. Within the next couple decades, we will have to shut down a good chunk of our churches just because we don't have any men or women stepping up to say, I will serve. I will be in there. I will help these churches. And so the Bible says that if you desire vocational ministry, so to speak, if you desire that, that's a good thing. You ought to look into that. You ought to kind of see where it is. Maybe it's a life stage. Maybe it's just a moment in your life. This last week, I had a lunch with Cooper Passmore. Y'all know him? Anybody know? A lot of you know him. We went to um, Don Pepe's and it was like, I did not exist. The, the entire place was hugging Cooper and taking pictures of Cooper. He's a big deal. He's a really big deal. You might watch this later. He's a big deal. And I know him. I went to lunch with Cooper. A couple years ago, Cooper and I sat at Blue Cell here in, um, in Conway. And, and he was like trying to get the words out, but he finally got the words out. And he says, I think I might be like supposed to be going in to ministry. So he says, and I said, Cooper, all of us know that. We're just waiting on you to say it, you know. I've known that for months. And so Cooper first started talking to me about ministry as a math graduate of UCA working at Axiom, right? And now he's the preteen minister, the minister to preteens at one of the best churches in Oklahoma. That's what God worked out because he just said, I'll try it. I'll do something. I'll step forward and see how it goes. It's a really cool, really beautiful story. Now, I know some of you are thinking, I'm definitely not signing up for vocational ministry if I got to do preteen ministry. I get that. Not everybody does, all right? So you know how, like, if you were to go and if you were to win the lottery, of course, first you would tithe because you're a good Christian. But secondly, you would go to a financial advisor. And you go there and you'd say, here's all of my winnings. I did not buy the ticket because that would be a sin. My mother, my grandmother gave it to me for Christmas. Uh, you know, I got to work through all of y'all's apprehensions. But you would lay the money out and you would have a financial advisor say, this is what you should do with it. Why would you not meet with a pastor or a minister or a small group leader or a friend that's mature and say, hey, look, this is my life. God has blessed me to be a nurse. God has blessed me to be a welder. God has blessed me to be whatever it is. And you just lay it out there and say, how can I use that for the glory of God? How can I do that? Whatever it is that you do, how, how, we never ask that question. We take finances, but we don't take our calling. We take money, but we don't take the rest of our lives and say, how can I leverage this in the best possible way for the glory of God? One of the things that's so taxing on me right now in American Christianity is that we leave our Christianity at the door of our jobs. We walk in there and say, I can't bring my faith in here. I can't pray in here. I can't share the gospel in here. I can't talk about Jesus in here because it's frowned upon. Who cares? 
Everything in this country is frowned upon. You're going to make anybody, you do anything in this country, you're going to make somebody mad. And they're going to tweet about you. Boo-hoo. All I'm telling you is just live out your Christian. I'm not telling you to go get fired tomorrow. I'm just telling you that God says he'll direct your steps and your words and he'll go with you. Let's try that. Let's try that a little bit and just see how it goes. Let's try that and see how it goes. I want you to think about that pool that I started off, the one that my dad uh, built for us. Could you imagine how weird it would be if dad finished that pool and he got it all the way filled up to the top? You know, that's a long, that takes forever. That water fills all the way up to the top. And then a few of my siblings and I, not all of us, maybe not my mom, we all just ease into the side of the pool and then we just stand over by the side. And that's all we do. We just ease into the pool and we stand over by the side. Obviously, any adult standing by would go, what's wrong? What's wrong? Nothing's wrong, we would say. We're in the pool. But my dad would say, I didn't build it for you to just stand there. Swim. There's a huge difference in just getting in the pool and swimming. Sadly, a ton of Christians in our churches have just gotten into the pool and they're just kind of standing there. And God is saying in thousands year old message, what's wrong? Swim, go all the way in. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.